So we're going to be in Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And if you're new to the Bible, that'll be in kind of the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. Um, the Bible separated into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is before Jesus came. The New Testament is after Jesus came. We'll be in Luke chapter 9. And for an introductory thought, I'm going to do one of those scenarios where ultimately I'm going to ask you, what would you do in this scenario? And it's a driving scenario. So imagine with me, you're somewhere in town, you're in the you're in your community there, you're on a four-lane road, you know, two going this way, two coming this way, and you're approaching a stoplight. It's not rush hour or anything. There's some traffic on the road. And as you approach the stoplight, <clears throat> you're familiar and you realize, oh, this is one of those where the right lane is going to merge into the left lane after the stoplight. Are you with me? Can you imagine that, drivers? All right. So you'll see a sign, something like this. It's posted all over, right? Lane ends, merge left. You've driven on this road multiple times, so you're already in the left lane, right? Because you just because that lane's going to run out, so you're in the left lane. And you look behind you, and there's just a few cars in the car behind you. Everyone has gotten over into the left lane. It's just not working out perfectly. No, and then the person beside you, as you approach the light, you see them. They decide they're going to come up around to the right of you, and now they have come up next to you in the lane. You see what's happening here? Somebody right here just said, it's a race. Okay, so you're getting the, right? So, so in that scenario, right, where the lights and this is going to, so here's the question. What would you do? So here, I came up with three ideas, which one fits you best? First one, you pay little attention and let the situation work itself out. That's not you, is it? That's okay. We'll get to you in a moment. In fact, it may be the next. Okay, so that's like A or number one. Number two is this. You scout the area for police because of the ensuing drag race. You with me? Okay. And then the third option is this. You kindly wave the driver ahead even before the light turns green because that's what Jesus would do. I'm just going to admit, my natural tendency is not number three. In fact, my natural tendency looks something like this. They pull up. Oh, you're not thinking. And beyond you're not thinking, if, if we go from the light and they start to move ahead, I will go up. And even if then they realize, okay, I'll just duck in behind, you know what I'll do then? I'll let off the gas. <laughs> just to create, now this is just my natural tendency, just to create, if there's any way I can irritate you this morning, welcome to your life. It wouldn't bug me if they end up in the ditch. Because they run out of road. The, my natural tendency, I'm so sorry, but in my natural tendency, I'm that guy. Along with most of the people apparently here in the auditorium. So that brings up our question for the day. Why are Christians jerks sometimes? 
because like I'm a Christian. Some of you are like, no, you're not. Well, maybe. Why are Christians jerks sometimes? Can we just admit that even on our, that we are. Uh, I was in a pastor's retreat. And uh, some of the really, you know, good pastors, vineyard pastors that I had known for quite some time, and we're at this retreat. And if you imagine, you know, pastor's retreat, it's, you know, probably pretty nice. And it, it was, it was that kind of thing. And uh, one of the pastors was sharing a difficult situation in his church. Apparently there was a family that had just become really irritating and was becoming, you know, that kind of a thing. And so one of the other pastors made this comment, and I'll put it up on the screen. One of the other pastors says, well, churches are like people. They need to have a bowel movement every once in a while to stay healthy, implying maybe it's time for the people who don't, who are being all cranky, they just need to leave. So that came out, how many of you now are like, oh, I didn't know pastors. Anyway, churches are like people. They need to have a bowel movement every once in a while to stay healthy. And there was some chuckling around the table. I mean, I didn't laugh, but I, some people did. And then the, the spiritual leader of the retreat, he was the regional leader, I think, at the time, uh, jumped into the conversation with just probably the right amount of grace. And he said, hey, guys, I don't think that we should refer to anyone uh, created in the image of God as a bowel movement. And we all, we were, I was like, I'm sorry. I mean, there was, because he was really right. You know, he was taking the high road. Hey, let's not, th let's not let this conversation go that direction. He was so on in that moment. That same guy that was so on in that moment, within a year, during a weekend away, hooked up with an old college flame, committed sexual sin, then would not repent, left with that woman, abandoned his church, which became quite a painful, messy situation, ultimately uh, abandoned his wife and children for the next year. What a jerk. Why are Christians jerks sometimes? Of course, I'm, when I say the word jerk, it implies, why do we sin? And why are Christians so sinful sometimes? Just to be clear, the Bible includes sinful jerk moments in some, of the, some great spiritual followers of God in the Bible. Early in the Bible, there's a young man named Cain who had access to God. He would have conversations with God, probably more intimate conversations. The access was something probably maybe beyond what most of us have. You know, he had access, kind of like face-to-face -face conversations with God. And he ends up killing his brother out of jealousy. What a jerk. There's stories of a man named David who became a real uh, prominent leader in, in God's people, did, did great, great things. But the story includes David, when he was the king of Israel, he used his power and authority and position to take advantage of his neighbor's hot wife. Neighbor was gone, and he saw her, and because he was the king, he 
Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says this in a time of confession as he's writing in the book of Romans. He says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. <clears throat> but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Why? So, hold those thoughts. You may know we're in this series called Asking for a Friend, and our question today is why are Christians jerks sometimes? And uh, this is an important topic, I think, not just because, oh, well, that'll be interesting to try to sort through, huh, I wonder why that happens. But the reality is, I have had countless conversations with people that are far from God. And part of the reasons that they're far from God is because in their testimony, they will tell you, I'm not interested in following God because I knew a Christian once who did this. You know what I'm saying? They'll say, oh yeah, I thought about, I used to go to church, or I thought about going to church, or I thought about following and then there, but I met this Christian and you'll never know what, you'll never guess what they did. Or, I grew up in a Christian home, and my dad was my, you know, my spiritual hero, and blah, blah, blah. But when I was 14, my dad left my mom and left us, and so therefore, and that stops the progress or becomes a huge barrier in their Christian walk. Or they saw, you know, Nightline or 2020 or some television show about that one pastor who, you know, like did all that and you know, was killing cats or whatever he was doing, you know, and had the, I don't know what he did, but right? You saw it, it was on Twitter, I don't know what it was. And so then, that's the tragedy. So that's why I really want to dig into, so why does this stuff happen? So that when it happens, if it's happened in your past, it will not be a stumbling block and a barrier because God forbid we don't have a relationship with God because some other person is a jerk sometime. So we're going to try to get over that hump, and we're going to explore it with hopefully getting a little understanding from a verse in Luke 9 where at least two of the disciples are kind of jerks. Uh, this is toward the latter part of Jesus' ministry. He's heading to Jerusalem, uh, ultimately to die on a cross, and here's what happens. Luke 9, 51, it says, As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, that's a reference to he's going to go die on a cross, be in a grave for three days, God's going to resurrect him, and then he's ultimately going to go back up to heaven. It says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him. Well, that's not nice. Because he was heading for Jerusalem. We'll talk about that a little bit. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's what I think is kind of the jerk moment. <laughs> Seems a little over the top. Hey, Lord, want us to kill him? 
We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, a little bit in a talk. Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he and his disciples went to another village. So again, why are Christians jerks sometimes? I'm going to give you two uh, ideas from this text. Before I do that, let me pray. Father, gosh, I do pray, Father, that this would be a preventative medicine talk so that the next time someone's a jerk or Christians are messed up or fail even horribly, somewhere in there, it wouldn't derail our walk with you, our faith. And I also pray that there might be some healing in this for people who have experienced difficulty in the past and it became a stumbling block. Talk to us, God, I pray. Heal us. I pray not just for the people that are here on site, not just for Grape Road. I pray for people that are listening, watching online as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas from the text. First one is this. Christians are jerks sometimes because everyone is a jerk sometimes. That's pretty deep, isn't it? Everybody is. In our text, the Christians, the two disciples, the apostles, they weren't the first ones to be a jerk. The first moment of jerkdom, which is really not a word, the first moment of jerkdom comes when Jesus sends them to this little Samaritan village and says, hey, can we spend the night? Basically, that's the request. Can we spend the night? And they say, oh, where are you headed? Oh, we're going to Jerusalem. And they say, no, you can't. We don't want you here. Right? They went into Samaritan village, but the people there did not welcome them because they were headed for Jerusalem. A little historical context here helps us understand why they might say that. Um, we'll put an image up on the screen, help you see geographically where they're at. So this is uh, the area, this is kind of the, the Judean countryside. When A lot of the New Testament, and even much of the Old Testament, when it's talking about these areas, this is it. Um, so you've got Galilee above, you've got the Mediterranean Sea, Galilee, by the way, Jesus was from Galilee, and then on the bottom you've got Judea, those are both primarily Jewish areas for sure, and then you've got this Samaria in the middle. Now, a lot of Samaritans were Jewish too, or of Jewish descent, but a lot of the other Jews thought that they had failed to keep themselves pure and weren't doing some of the right things, so over time... The Jew-Jews, that sounds like candy, doesn't it? Juju, aren't there Juju somethings? Sorry. The Jew-Jews, whatever. Sorry. They began to be critical of the Samaritans and not associate with them. And they were like, you guys are not pure enough for us. Well, of course, that made a recoil from the Samaritans because they were like, well, who do, who do you think you are? And so there was this generational rift between these two people. And in the text, Jesus is just going to pass through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, and that's where it happens. Now, oh, by the way, there's another Bible uh, verse that kind of indicates this generation of conflict. In John 4, 9, Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman, and the woman says to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So there's this, and here's the idea. You can write it down. It's a fill in the blank. 
The Samaritans were mean to Jesus back in the original text. They said, no, we don't want you here. They were mean to Jesus because of an established sinful pattern. An established sinful pattern. Now, I want to make a big jump here. This idea of an established sinful pattern is not just a Samaria versus Jew thing 2,000 years ago. Now, listen, most, some of you know this. I think it, will, it, it, it becomes clear. But our world, our world, your world, my world, our world is filled with established sinful patterns it's just we're just filled with them they're all over the place uh, in a theological uh, realm or term it's called the doctrine of sin and it means deep down people are broken and i don't mean broken in a good way like humble before god deep down people are broken it means they're naturally broken in a way that they tend towards sin they tend toward doing stupid things sinful things jerk things it's like in us it's been in us for generations and i look at a couple verses that really highlight the doctrine of sin genesis 6 5 says the lord looked down i'm sorry the lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Wow! That sounds pretty extreme. That was in the time of Noah. But it's pointing toward the basic sinful tendencies of human beings. In the New Testament, Jesus said, For out of the heart come, right? Out of the heart come, now I'm going to take that uh, off the screen for a minute. You know, in our culture, what we might typically think is, well, out of the heart comes, what do we think of? Pause, think about it. Put your hand on your heart. Out of, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Out of the heart, this is what I think culturally we tend, out of the heart comes love and niceness and Peaches and cream and sweetness and, right? Is that not true? Like that's what we would tend to think. We, we've been taught, oh, this is, we write poems about how good our hearts are. Let's, let's bounce to that poem that I found about the heart. This, this is what culturally we think of a lot. Uh, there's the, uh, there it is. It says, listen to your heart. It harbors sacred things. <laughs> Give from your heart. Abundance it brings. Pray through your heart. Guidance in need. Follow your heart. It knows how to lead. What's that? Now let's go back to the scripture where Jesus is describing the heart. And he says, out of the, out of the heart comes, look at that, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Theft, false testimony, and slander. And what I want to do here is just 
expose some short-sighted advice that's pretty common in our world today. And the, the short-sighted advice is this. You'll do great if you just follow your heart. Just, you'll do fine if you just follow your heart. Just so you know, God would say, bad idea. Lots of times. Because the heart is not as trustworthy as we think it is. In my heart, you guys, my heart says, you think you're going to get in front of me before that light turns green. We're going to, it ain't happening. That's what's in my heart. It comes really naturally to me. My, in my heart, I, you know, like I want a sports car so that I can win every one of those races. That's what's in my heart. My heart does not generally, by natural, you know, by nature, my heart is not generous by nature. It's really selfish by nature. Last week, my daughter was playing in a uh, college tennis match, and she's getting beat. And so I began to pray. And all, I kid you not, all my prayer was selfish toward my, I'm like, God, oh God, just hope, just hope her to win. Just, I want her to win. Just, it was all so focused on her. Now, I don't know that I prayed it. But my prayer implied, I don't care about that other girl. I hope the other girl hits it into the net. I hope she loses her skills. Blindness wouldn't be bad. I, I, no, I didn't pray that. But the balance of my prayer, I realized it after I was doing it. I'm like, gosh, Mark, you're an idiot. What a jerk. Because I am so focused on I just want my daughter to win. You know, that's what's in my heart. A lot. By nature, that's where I'm at. And that's me, and that's with the Spirit of God. That's not in the Spirit of God, but that's with. I became a Christian, and I'm actually, folks, I'm trying pretty hard. I'm a pretty committed Christian, and I'm, and I'm doing Bible time, and I'm praying, and I'm trying to be good, and I'm trying to let the people in, even though my heart says I'm going to beat you with this light. But my, I'm even working hard at not submitting to the sinfulness of my heart, but man, it's still all in there. I have a friend that says sinfulness is just in our meat. It's just in us. So there are times when, when follow your heart, folks, is a horrible plan. Here's a better plan. You'll do great if you follow God's heart. That's a better plan. Anyone who tries to convince us that people deep down are good, they are wrong. Deep down, we're a mess. And if that is not true, deep down we're a mess. Because it, if that's not true, God's an idiot. Because God sent his son into the world to bring forgiveness to messed up people. If we're a good... If we're going to, you know, if deep down we're good, then God was goofy because he put his son through all that tragedy, all that pain, knowing that we would not redeem our, our, our own hearts. We cannot redeem our own hearts. Even with the Spirit of God, we struggle to live a redeemed 
life. And he also sent Christ. Oh, this is such good news. Because we need help. He sent Christ ultimately with this big plan that they, he would then send the Holy Spirit so that we would have a, a helper to tr- as we try to move toward being good and honoring God and loving people like we should. And God is not an idiot. He absolutely knows the condition of the human beings. So people can argue all they want about, well, deep down we're good. We are not good. We need a Savior. That's what makes the gospel such, a, such good news. Because our sin is a pit that is too deep for us to crawl out of on our own We need not just a lifeline or somebody throwing a rope in. Jesus left heaven, dove into the pit with us, carried us out. That's the gospel, because we're messed up. Ezekiel 36, 26. Gosh, this is good. God says, he makes this offer. I will give you a... New heart. That's what I need. It's interesting to me, he doesn't even say, I'll do surgery on your old heart. He just kind of like, I'm just going to give you a new one. Like, you know, there comes time where you go, okay, that's really broken. <laughs> so we're not even going to try to fix it. It's just time to get a new one. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. So this idea of everyone is sinful. It's part of the condition of humanity. I want to give you a couple practical things that can be helpful as we navigate this world. Here's the first one. Quit being surprised when people fail. Or, yeah, that's not bad. Quit being, I would probably add, quit being so surprised when people fail. Because it's part of who we are. I got a phone call. Ten days ago, a friend of mine. Uh, emotionally distraught. The night before, he got picked up for a DUI, and now he's looking at a messy life for a while. Now, and before we get into all the judgment, I can't believe, just be careful, because in a group this size, and definitely those of you at home online, we know why you're at home. (laughs) What were you doing last night? I'm just kidding with you. And they're like, don't talk so loud because you're hurting my head. I'm just kidding. It's totally a joke. So so before we get all judgy about this person or that person who does that, don't ever forget the reality of your own sin. So my friend, he just got caught doing some things that a bunch of us have already done. He just ended up getting caught. But anyway, in the midst of that, don't be so surprised. I mean, I was a little, I was disappointed, I was a little surprised. But don't lean into the, I cannot believe you did that. How about we lean into, uh, lean into the, can I, how can I be helpful? Man, that's rough. And, and by the way, I'm not condoning. I didn't say, well, good job. <laughs> right? That's not what we do. This idea of not judging as much and not being so surprised, it doesn't mean that we, that the standard of God or what we ought to be doing changes. It just acknowledges this sin's part of the deal, and we're all going to fail and fall at times. How about we stay pretty humble, try to be helpful, pray, encourage? 
one good balancing verse for situations like this is, it says, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you used, it will be measured to you. So just practically, don't be so surprised when people fall and fail. It's in our meat, right? The sinfulness is just there. Uh, another idea that may be helpful, admit your need for God's intervention. Boy, this would be a great spiritual discipline to just regularly, daily say, Lord, I need a new heart. Will you help me overcome my old heart? Give me your heart. And one more little extra idea that's not a fill in the blank, but I'm going to put it up on the screen because we're talking about the world says, oh, just follow your heart. If you're a parent or you have influence over children, let's please give our children something more than just follow your heart. We gotta have a deep, we gotta have something deeper than that. That won't get them there. <laughs> Even your little angel. Leticia, or whatever her name is, you think, oh, she's super sweet. No, she's not. She's not. From a biblical point of view, don't ever lose track, folks, that there's an enemy of her soul, and there's a natural tendency for her to... Here's what the Bible says about Leticia, and whatever other name your kids are. Mm, Proverbs 22.15. Don't ever forget this. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Not butterflies. A butterfly is not bound up in the heart of a child. Folly, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, right? But the rod of discipline drive it far away. The New Living Translation, Proverbs 22 says, direct your children onto the right path. Don't be so foolish to think that they will just find it. Their heart will just guide them. To be diligent, parents. Okay, so that was Christians are jerks because everyone's a jerk sometimes. I want to hit one more. Woo, we're going to fly. Christians are jerks sometimes because spiritual transformation is a process. Spiritual transformation is a process. We're not going to get to be like Jesus like that. When I first became a Christian, I was 20 years old. Some of you know my story. It changed my life. Man, I was so grateful to find forgiveness. I didn't even realize I needed it. And it just changed my life is grateful so one of my tendencies after i became a christian was i wanted to introduce people to christ because it was the best thing ever so i i, I was a part of another friend of mine's story and he be became a, a christian about the same time i did and then he and i were trying to help people come to know christ and so uh a long story short tim uh, saw frank great guy i get to see him every once in a while and i we called mike and we're like, Mike, what are you doing tonight? And because we were all friends, and I don't know what we said, let's go hang out. So we went and we picked up Mike. And then we took Mike to the church where Tim and I were going. And I had a key to the church. I don't know how that happened, but I had a key to the church. And we took Mike. It was, it was uh, in the evening. It was dark outside. We took him into the sanctuary of the church. We sat him on the front steps. And basically we said, Mike, we're going to make you a Christian. Is that okay with you? Poor guy. We should, I said, we're just going to pray. 
Because we want your eyes to be open to the gospel. God loves you. You're, you're a sinner, man. You, gotta, you need forgiveness, even though Mike was kind of like a good guy. Like he, you know, but he, he wasn't. You'd think, oh, he was a good guy. No, he was, he was like us. And, and so we started praying. We prayed loud. We put our hands on him. I'm surprised he didn't just beat us up. We're like, in Jesus' name, we pray, God, you'd open Mike's eyes to his sin. Help him, God. We like we were doing this stuff. We went on and on. It seemed for I don't know for how long we prayed every prayer. We bound the devil. We prayed for him that he would see how much he needed Jesus and experience. We had the Holy Spirit come and help him because he rises. Eventually, long story short, Mike ends up literally. I don't like to use that word a lot. He literally stood up and ran out of the sanctuary screaming and got went and sat in the car. He just went around, and I remember watching him run through the sanctuary doors, which would have been like, oh, like, we just busted through the doors, went out and sat in the car. And my friend Tim, who's super sharp, he looked at me, and he said, oh, gosh, he said, do you, do you think we came on too strong? That's what he said. I think, I'm pretty sure he was to my left. You think we... And I remember thinking, <clears throat> yeah, that didn't seem to work. <laughs> oh, the mistakes of young, zealous Christians. And I, I share that story because I don't think it's totally disconnected from the, uh, the, the apostles' story, the disciples' story, in the moment where they... Say, Jesus, you want us to call down fire? That's the text. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Because the context here gives me a little more grace for the disciples. It's not actually a totally stupid idea. They're radically in love with Jesus. They know who he is. And this town just refused the Son of God to move into the town. By the way, God created that town. Jesus was part of the creation of every one of those people. And when they say, you can't come in, it makes them mad. They're defending their Savior. They're trying to please their Lord, right? So I think that's part, that's why they're like, oh, well, here's an idea. How about you want us to kill them? Which is basically their, and then here's the idea here. The disciples took their best guess at what might please God. But here's the good news. After they got rebuked by Jesus, there is no record in the scripture that they ever submitted this as a plan ever again. Does that make sense? They never, they didn't like three days later keep bringing up the same idea. Hey, Lord, do we get to send fire on these people? Here's another town. Can we use the fire trick on these people? They realized, because they're, they were immature and they're growing up, they realized, yeah, we did that. Remember that one thing? But they never did it again because maturing is a process of making mistakes. It's part of the deal. I wonder if in heaven, whether those two disciples ever reminisce about, remember when we, remember when we thought it was a good idea to burn up all those people? That was not a good day. And then the Lord would say, I remember when you did that. You know, I... But it's, it's okay, like it's not okay to say, yeah, let's burn up a bunch of people, but it's somehow okay because the spiritual journey of maturity is a process of trial and error, right? Can I get a yeah? It's a yeah. Do you guys, none of us, 
I've been, again, I've been doing this for years, and I'm still screwing it up. But also, and here's the challenge, I'm also still on the journey of getting better. I only took a friend into a church and screamed prayers over him one time. Because I just did it one time and realized, I don't think that's the best plan. By the way, I've done some things more, dumb things more than one time. First Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That passage is directly speaking to our spiritual development. So how are we doing at growing up? That's a question come up on the screen. How are we doing at growing up? Can I just pause and encourage you? Just keep growing up. You'll never be perfect. That's why we'll always need a Savior. But the power of becoming more and more mature has a great impact on those around us. We'll probably do things, we'll still do things that might make someone stumble and think, gosh, that person's a Christian. Why are they such a jerk? But wouldn't it be great if we do those less in the future and we work on the skills that invite people into the kingdom? So last, fill in the blank, is the challenge to move beyond mistakes to maturity. Let's do that. Why don't you stand and we're going to move into a time of prayer.